Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week, I have a very special guest, my good friend, TXMC, who's an on-chain analyst at Glassnode, which is one of the leading on-chain, uh, on-chain data providers in the Bitcoin space. Hey, TXMC, how's it going, man? William Guillermo Cornstacker III. Hello, my friend. <laughs> That's quite the name, man. I'll have, to, I'll have to roll with that one for now on. I like that one better than the, the Young Wizard, so that'll be my new one. Uh, just want to start with like, how are you doing? And, and, you know, what have you been up to lately? Wow. Uh, well, you know, the last time I was on your show, I think was about three months ago, maybe. Yeah, you're the, by the way, genetically drop, you're, you're our first recurring guest. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, I'm the first, first one. Yeah. That's exciting. And, you know, there's so much that's happened on your, your, uh, your channel and on so many interviews you've had since then, it's like I'm bookending some pretty impressive guests, man. It's awesome. You've had Raul on, you've had John Wick, you talked to Sam, you've had Pomp, you know, you know, you talked to Willie and Plan B. It's it's really exciting to see how your uh, your reach is growing and just you know all the things you're doing. It's, it's awesome, dude. So I'm glad to be back here. Um, and and for me, uh, the last few months have been really busy. You know, when I first talked to you, I had just started working at Glassnode and um, you know, now uh, we're really just rolling on all cylinders, helping to produce the newsletter each week and working on uh, building up a lot of our content and things getting ready for next year, which should be a really exciting year for us. And, um, you know, other than that, I make videos on YouTube a couple of times a week and try to, you know, analyze these markets. So it takes up most of my time. Totally. So I guess uh, you, you kind of alluded to it, but I just want to first start up like, what do you do at Glassnode? Um, I guess we could even back up and say like, what is Glassnode? What do they do? Um, what kind of you know drew you to them? Um, you know why? Why are, you know what kind of aligns your mission with them, and, and why you kind of chose to to you know uh, take on a role there? Um, and then what are you guys trying to accomplish? Like what are what are you kind of working on day in day out? What's kind of the the vision for for the company moving forward? Sure, I can uh, speak to that as best I can. I'm pr- I'm like the newest member of the team, sure. uh, and so the. Glassnode is a market intelligence platform. Uh, we had specifically have a lot of on-chain metrics for a variety of tokens. Some we have a more of a breadth of information about than others. And Bitcoin is obviously the mo- most robust suite of metrics that we have. And so, you know, we, we've just got everything under the sun as far as on-chain goes. And the way reason I was drawn to Glassnode in particular, you know, when you first start learning about Glassnode and you start seeing all the content people are sharing, it's the watermark on all the charts, right? And so I, you know, when I first started trying to learn in this space and begin to understand what the different metrics mean and just what's going on, uh, you know, I was drawn to their site. They have a lot of published information. They've done a lot of research in this space and helped to lay a lot of the groundwork that we base a lot of, you know, our current research research on. So that drew me to them in the beginning. And so I, you know, as you know, along the way, you find other people to connect with. And, I, you know, I got in touch with Checkmate, who, who's the lead analyst there for Glassnode, and uh, started learning a lot from him. And then just one thing led to another. And uh, they saw me putting out analysis and offered to bring me on the team. And I was more than happy to oblige because it just means getting closer to the data, having more access to the ledger and the insights that we're doing and really being at the cutting edge of this research. And that is really exciting to me. So, uh, that's why I work there, and that's why I, uh, you know, been doing, been so busy the last couple of months. And you know, what we're really trying to do, I think, in the next year, is grow our reach. 
You know, we've got a lot of people that subscribe to our free newsletter and a video accompanying that goes with it out, goes uh, out each week to a bunch of subscribers. But uh, we also have a lot of plans to grow and provide more analysis, more market insights and provide additional metrics. You know, we've got a big team of analysts and data scientists that are working all the time to put out new um, new metrics and things to look at. So I think the next year will probably be expanding quite a bit and uh, we'll see a lot of new exciting things coming out, some of which I don't even fully know yet. Sure, that, that's awesome. I, I do want to kind of back up and talk about what is on-chain analytics, first of all, and, and what, what, is, what is the importance of it to you? Um, mm-hmm. And then as well as just like, how did you get into the space? Uh, and then and then I do want to transition to like how you built up your following. But looking at on-chain specifically, just talk about like kind of what you got, you know, what intrigued you about on-chain and what got, you know, what got you into it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing, so I've spent a few years trying to just learn about the markets and, you know, I've, I've day traded a bit uh, in U.S. equities and learned, you know, a, a lot there, had limited success, but my learning was really the takeaway. And, you know, just through my uh, personal journey, trying to understand more about money and try to plan for my future and decide the plan for my own wealth and for my family, uh, you know, I learned about Bitcoin. And then what I discovered was this transparent, immutable ledger that is what Bitcoin is. And Within that ledger, there's so many insights into the behaviors and the market forces that really drive the participants and the holders of Bitcoin over time that we could not see in traditional finance. You know, there's tomes, books written decades. People have been writing about the behavior of investors in bull markets and what, you know, the what price weakness does to investors and just kind of the supply and demand forces that produce price action. There's so much written about it, but the only ways we've been able to measure those things are with traditional technical analysis and old school fundamentals, right? But with the ledger now, we can see so much of it. We can see how much coin is held by these different types of investors, how long they've been there, how much they buy and sell and when they do so. And all of those things are what on-chain is the study of and the unpacking of. You know, we can we can see the hash power being provided by the miners in real time to the network to uphold security. All of the layers of Bitcoin are transparent there in the data. And that, as someone who just really enjoys data and enjoys learning, that sucked me in, dude. Like that was a vortex. Just so much data there. Uh, and, and so we can really have an intimate, close relationship and a deep understanding with Bitcoin. Uh, And, you know, there are other assets we can do some of this with. We can do it with Ethereum. We can do it with Litecoin to to varying degrees. But Bitcoin is my primary focus. And and I think that on chain is really the future of how we relate with the money. It's the way we can understand it and unpack it, which is very exciting to me because, you know, you know, we're only a couple of years in to this iteration of on chain. And so there's a lot more to come, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we can kind of get uh, later on in the conversation. I want to get into like kind of how we we see on chain evolving. But um, one thing that I think you you hit on, which is really important to understand is, you know, uh, some of the some of the reason that people look at price action is. Because it's almost like this, when you think of like the bell curve meme, right? You have people on the left saying, oh, price, you know, price is doing what it's doing. You have some some guy in the middle looking at like 20 million different indicators. And then t- some guy on the right saying, well, price action is doing this. 
And I think that also kind of relates to on-chain. If you know how to kind of, uh, you know, concise the information and look at it in, in like a uh, very constructive way, because what we're looking at essentially, as you described, is just the behaviors of, of investors. And so, you know, similar to people who just look traditionally at price action, we can look at what are, what, what are you know, the uh, investors actually doing in reaction to some kind of news event or, or anything in general, um, or like just the, you know, state of the market. So like, whereas, you know, people traditionally would say, you know, I get people asking about, what do you think about macro? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Right. And it's like, that's a lot of information. And, you know, it's, it's hard enough to keep up with the Bitcoin market, let alone be a macro expert, you know, a, a Russia versus Ukraine geopolitics expert and everything else. Right. So with that being said, you know, at the end of the day, we can just look at what is what is on chain saying in addition to price action. And we can look at, you know, that that's essentially just the, you know, com, the combined, uh, you know, uh, opinion of all market participants in one output, right, via mm -hmm. what, is, what is the, you know, outlook of on-chain or, or what is price action doing? And so that that's right. why, you know, I think I think that's a really important point for people to understand. Um, it, it really is this almost x-ray vision on what, what investors are doing. And so whenever there's mm -hmm. some kind of event, you know, we, we can see, uh, you know, I, Without without using a specific example, we can say, oh well, you know, everyone's everyone's really fearful about this event, right? And there's a bunch of fud around this event. We can look on chain and see, well, the long term guys aren't even budging. The long term guys can mm -hmm. care less, right? And then conversely, we can say, well, you know, here's an event where people are kind of you know writing it off, but you know, on chain investors, you know, fundamental long term investors are actually you know starting to sell their coins or, or look like they're de risking heading into this event. And so we can we can basically you know separate kind of the signal from the noise in that in that sense um, I, I do want to move on and, and just talk about like your your actual personal platform that you have on on twitter and so we kind of talk about how you got into on chain but walk us through kind of how you've you know how you've blown up on twitter man it's been pretty impressive uh, I, don't, I don't really know anybody else whose whose account has grown that aggressively uh, i remember you know you had like 100 or 200 followers like maybe two or three months ago or so and now you know you're working for Glassnode. You have a huge presence on Twitter. You're on all these different podcasts. So just kind of talk through, you know, what what advice would you give to anybody else kind of looking to build up a platform and, and what really worked for you? It's a good question um, because it is it has caught me by surprise, you know, just as much as anyone, um, you know, because the, I, from my perspective, uh, all I'm doing is sharing information, you know, I'm sharing analysis. Uh, and and it's it, and people are resonating with it, and I think that Twitter is so powerful. Uh, and you've you've made some comments about this before, just the power of Twitter and how much access you have, not just to information, but to minds, to other smart people who are willing to respond to you if you engage with them earnestly and genuinely. And you know, the first few months that I was on Twitter, the first two or three months, my DMs were full of me messaging everyone you could think of. I messaged you, I messaged Pomp, I messaged Willie, I've messaged Bology, I've messaged everyone. And most people have responded in some way. You responded to me, I've talked to Bology, everyone's answered questions of mine. I'm just a person who just reached out with a question, right? And I think that having access and being willing to go to the people who know what you want to learn is one of the steps involved. Right, you have to be willing to put yourself out there as a learner, as someone eager to absorb what other people are willing to share. And I think when you put yourself out there like that, 
um, it, it invites a certain kind of energy back to you, you know, not to get super spiritual, but I think there's a really fundamental universal law to that. And so I, I try to approach everything from a spirit of learning and being open and sharing and, and admitting that I'm just a person who's trying to learn as much as possible. And I think that that resonates with folks. And so if you can, if you can make your own curiosity something that people see about you from the beginning, I think that it can really help you to learn things that you're eager to learn about. And Twitter is a really powerful place for that. Um, so I've really been focusing on doing that, on trying to connect with people that I feel like I can learn from. And during the process of that, I have made connections with those people. Like you're, I learn a lot from you. We have a friendship now. We talk all the time. And, and that that's happened with a bunch of folks, you know, that, that along the way, and I expect to have more connections in the future. And, and I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks who are like, you know, there's, I want to learn this, or I want to learn that, or I find this thing really interesting, but I don't really know where to start. Literally just start reading about it. You know, people ask me all the time, how did you learn what all these metrics mean? How did you get started with on-chain? And what I did literally was read every single article that was ever published about on-chain. You know, I went on Medium and I looked up on-chain articles. I found Adamant Capital's article about liveliness. I found David's article with Willie about cumulative destruction, where they talk about, you know, value days destroyed, et cetera. I've read everything. I have them all bookmarked. I've read them numerous times. I go back to them again and again. And then I reach out to those people and I say, hey, could you explain this? Hey, I really like how you did this, X, Y, Z. That's how you learn. And, and that accelerates your learning as well, because then you're no longer in a vacuum. Then you're taking in information and then going to those folks who have the sources and getting more of it, right? And then it creates, uh, you know, synapses get created, connections get created there where information continues to pass through. And so I think that you just have to think about it in an organic way. Think of it like watering a plant that over time will grow if you continue to invest in it genuinely. And so that's how my following has grown, I guess, uh, because it's just about looking for information and continually, relentlessly being curious. That's great. And um, I do want to also give you an opportunity to talk about your YouTube channel. So that's just something you started back a couple months ago. You've got a pretty large uh, subscriber base. And I see oftentimes whenever I'm like on your on your page, everyone's always you know, very adamant about, about your YouTube channel. And I know the couple of people, you know, follow it pretty religiously. So uh, kind of talk us through, you know, what, what's the YouTube channel all about? And then as well as like, how has that uh, process of like putting out your thoughts constantly actually helped you? So like, what I mean by that is for, for my newsletter that I do, that I do weekly, I oftentimes go back and look at, you know, if there's a, if there's a certain scenario where, you know, previously we, we've, we've been in and I can go back and actually see what were my recorded thoughts at the time. And then mm -hmm. what was the actual result of, of, you know, that kind of combination of, of events or, or metrics or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so my point is just that you basically have this journal through video or, you know, through newsletters or in written form. Um, but it's the same thing. It's just, you have this journal of, of your previous thoughts that you can go back and look at tweak, see why they were wrong and kind of evolve that thinking. And I'm curious if you've kind of found that to, to be the same for you and, and been a great like learning tool as well. Yeah, I, I've, I've found that putting myself out there, uh, for one, it forces me to really think about what I want to say. Um, especially, you know, if you're putting it in a video format or for yourself and you're writing a newsletter, you know, it's a bit slower than being in a real-time conversation. So you can really 
kind of mull over the the way that you're putting your thoughts together. And and so I and then since you, and I'm sure that there's a lot of similarities, but since I don't write a newsletter, I I have to assume a little bit about how you, your process is. But for, I know for me, as uh, making these videos, I I'm going through the things I'm saying over and over as I'm editing it, and sometimes I'm like you know what. The way I the way I thought about that doesn't actually make sense. I'm going to go re-record this, and and I think that through that process of hearing myself over and over again, uh, it starts to kind of help me crystallize my approach and my own review of my analysis. Because I think self-review, like you're talking about, self-review is one of the most important things about growing in any kind of skill set, right? Especially as it relates to the markets, you've got to be willing to go back and analyze your own perspective at the time and see how you can learn or grow from it, where it was flawed, where you were right, et cetera. And so putting my videos out there has been amazing because now, like you said, anytime there's maybe a, a similar event or we find ourselves in a market condition that mirrors something in the past, I have a journal now and I can go see not only what I was thinking, but what I was looking at and, and how I thought it was relevant to the time and whether it was true or not. And, and it's, so now it's not just that we're looking at the metrics themselves, but we're also looking at our interpretation of the metrics and building a history in that regard. And the more that we do this, the more history of our own perspectives we have, right? So I think that this is just building more of a backlog of reference to use so that we can be better prepared in future scenarios, right? And it's more research of ourselves we can make. It's really helped me a lot. Um, when I first started my channel, I didn't know if anyone was going to watch it. And to be honest, I still have no idea who actually watches it other than the handful of folks who tell me they watch it every week. Um, but I know someone does. It's a non-zero amount. It's going up. But uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to put myself out there. And also I wanted people to see that there's cool things we can talk about related to Bitcoin that aren't just about the price. Uh, I personally am not that concerned with the price day to day. I don't, I'm not a day trader of Bitcoin. Uh, but I am very fascinated by it, and I like to study data and markets. Uh, but I, I really think that um, it's helped me to be a better analyst, absolutely. I kind of want to transition this to, now we're going to kind of like talk about the market. Um, wh what do you look at aside from on-chain? Well, on-chain is the first thing I look at, but uh, I definitely, you know, I try to study macro as much as I can. I'm, I'm still like super low on the chain of understanding all the different cogs, you know, but I, I try to find folks that I feel are high signal and rely on their relentless study to help kind of inform my own perspectives. People like Lynn Alden, Luke Groman, Jim Bianco, the Macro Voices podcast, you know, Eric Townsend. I try to listen to folks like that, that I think have a, have an edge in that regard, because that's a side of the world that I'm still trying to understand. So I do keep my ear to macro, and I think that as Bitcoin continues to grow and institutionalize in a sense, that its relation to macro will be stronger in the future. Uh, whether that's correlative or not, I don't know, but it's, it will have a relationship. And uh, the things that I really look at, though, predominantly are Bitcoin itself and the flows of investors and how they're reacting to major news. Because like you said, we're really seeing in the price, we're just kind of seeing the outcomes of all of the different investors' decisions that they've made. But the on-chain is really showing us, in, the, in a sense, before the price does, kind of what to expect in people's reactions to, you know, the, the cyclical news events that play out. Uh, and so, I, I, but I try not to pay too, too much attention to news itself, 
because there can be a lot of noise there. And I think that we, we also, many of us in Bitcoin, especially in Bitcoin Twitter know that the mainstream media really has their finger way off the pulse in regards to Bitcoin itself a lot of the time. So I, I actually try to avoid the news. I, I try to get a sense of what people are thinking, but really the behaviors that play out will tell me what they're thinking, like you said. Uh, I don't feel like I have to know what's going to happen before it happens all the time uh, because I'm not using my this information to guide personal like active trading decisions. Uh, but I, but I do I do pay attention to macro. I do some light technical analysis now and then on some like larger cap stocks just to kind of see how they've been behaving like Tesla and Apple and things like that. But uh, mostly I try to live in Bitcoin. That's that's what I find the most value in and i think is the most important trade so with that being said like when you wake up in the morning what is the first thing you look at so like you basically have like this mental like wake up dashboard when you you know you roll over in bed you get to your workstation what do you look at initially um is it like the derivatives data is it you know on chain or you know like you know just what is that you know just what what is that kind of structure for you when you wake up i look at the markets futures so I look at, you know, the U.S. futures, uh, Dow, NASDAQ, gold, oil, all of those things. I see where they are. I look at the Bitcoin price chart overnight. I check out derivatives, but depending on how much open interest there is, I might not look at derivatives that closely. You know, like in the days following the liquidation, just the other day, I was watching open interest to see if it spiked back up. But when it wasn't, I was like, okay, I can come, I can deprioritize derivatives in the short term and just kind of keep an eye on it in the background. And and I think that what's going on in the markets and in the news cycle, we're in tune with because we're looking at it every day. So I, each day that I sit down, it's not exactly the same things that I look at. It's a bit contextual. It's a bit related to what I think is relevant now. And so sometimes I spend more time looking at derivatives. I might open the Levitas dashboard, which I find really useful and look at all of their spread of the derivatives of the funding of everything. Uh, but you know, most of the time it's just the price chart and uh, futures each day, just to get a sense of what the broader markets are looking at. Uh, and, and you kind of alluded to this, but like, what exactly are you doing with this information? Are you doing any kind of swing trading uh, or like, how do you just kind of manage your own personal portfolio? Well, oh, and I, I, you know, I said, I look at the price chart and futures. I do look at on chain, but I, I don't have a, like an all encompassing dashboard. I'll just kind of flip around, look at network activity, Um, You know, I might look at the spent volume age bands, something like that. But what I'm doing with the information, um, I will, the only way that it affects my actual personal, the actions I take is when I see um, an irrational local bottom. December 4th was an irrational local bottom. You know, a $42,000 wick when we were just at 58,000 is a little irrational. So in those moments, I find myself a buyer and I was buying during the liquidation in real time. But uh, those are the only times I really uh, use information that I'm getting in my analysis to affect what I'm doing. You know, most of the time I just DCA, I don't really look at it. Um, and, you know, what I, what I take from my analysis is a deeper understanding of Bitcoin. And I try to share those things with people because my, my perspective of it is very low time preference. You know, my, my holdings of, I don't do any trading at all of Bitcoin. The only financial actions I take are inflows into my long-term holdings. So that in that sense, you know, none of my analysis really affects what I'm doing, except maybe the timing of larger purchases. 
Got it. And, um, you know, I also want to kind of transition to like, what is your current? Well, I guess before we get into that, I do want to, I do want to kind of ask you this. Do you trade any alts in terms of like, like swing trades on like BTC pairs or any of that kind of thing? I know it's a little, little sacrilege to say uh, for, <laughs> for some of the, some, for some of the maxis, but I'm just curious. Well, and you know, I'll, I'll, I have a comment about that. I think that there is an unfair dogma placed on Bitcoiners at times by these limited frameworks that people propose that suggest what kind of a Bitcoiner you should be. I think that they are all crap. Uh, Bitcoin is an absolutely free market and it is fully, your Bitcoin is fully sovereignly yours. And anyone who tells you what you should do with it is talking out of their rear end. Uh, I will say that. But yes, I do trade alts occasionally uh, with limited success because I, it's not a focus of mine. I try to buy things that look like they are at very cheap prices and I hold them until the next alt season, uh, whenever that is. I don't really, uh, I don't make quick entries and exits, but I, I, I swing a few of the larger alts. I try to stick to things in like the top 50 on coin market cap. Uh, and ultimately, whenever I sell any of them, they just get converted into corn. So uh, that, that's what I do. But I try not to talk about it too much on my channel because I, my goal is not to be known as someone who provides trading signals to people. Uh, you know, I, that's not a focus of mine. And I, I don't really want the headache of giving people trading signals and hearing their feedback. So uh, I, I don't talk about that very much but I will do it. I'm open about it. I do trade, you know, I, I'll swing trade XRP or something, but I don't believe in Ripple as a project and I'm not holding it for the long term, right? It all becomes Bitcoin. Got it. And, and I want to now transition to just like, what is your current market outlook? So just given you know, the last couple of weeks, um, you know, we kind of had this failed kind of macro breakup. On-chain supply dynamics look really strong. We've got a lot of macro uncertainty, however, um, you know, meanwhile, meanwhile, we just got this massive kind of wipeout of derivatives. So, like, what are you looking at? What's your kind of outlook over the next, you know, whatever kind of time frame that you, you feel most confident in, like, kind of talking through? Sure, sure. It's hard to be super confident in in very short time frames right now. You know, I think for me, uh, you know, but I can't. I, I think that the next couple of months might be a bit tumultuous, and, and I don't. I don't. There are a lot of people calling for a Santa Claus rally, and I don't think that's likely. I don't think the market has the conditions in it right now for that kind of thing. I think that we might see some of the stronger alts pumping because there still does seem to be some speculative um, energy in the alt market. Uh, but, but I think that the next couple of months are really key as we watch the potential acceleration of tapering by the Fed. If it goes according to plan, then folks are expecting, you know, February or March to hear talk about a rate hike. And that is really where I think the market is poised to show us some serious weakness. I believe that if the Fed were to propose a rate, a rate hike, uh, or actually go through with it, the markets would probably puke after one or two of them and they would have to back off. I don't think they would be able to meaningfully raise rates because of the levels of debt. And because of that, I think that growth generally is probably going to stall over the next you know, quarter or two. We might have a bit more of a run left in the markets, but I think that generally speaking over the next quarter, four months or so, uh, growth won't be as high as it has been. Uh, and I think that Bitcoin could hang out sideways. And when Bitcoin does that, alts tend to run, right? And, and I think that ultimately leads 
to a capital rotation back into Bitcoin, maybe in the spring. But I, but I, I feel like we've been through a lot of volatility. And obviously, you and I have both put out the idea that there's a lot of you know, P&Ls that are being sat on by the institutional types are very risk off now for the month of December. I think that I, that's how I feel. I know that you've put that idea out there. I think others tend to agree. So I don't think December has much excitement left in it. And I don't necessarily think that January is just going to suddenly be a green light, you know, and that we're off to the, off to the races. Uh, I think that's a, that's a little too neatly packaged to be reality. Uh, so I, I'm expecting just kind of some sideways pain. I think that boredom is the absolute market killer, and it feels like we are lacking a bit of the demand side of the equation for Bitcoin specifically that would give it a lot of strength, right? We're obviously seeing the supply side. We're seeing hodlers continue to hodl, illiquid supply continues to grow, the age of coins being spent on chain is very young. So there's those ingredients are there. But the other side, the side of average Joe six-pack wanting to buy Bitcoin isn't there right now. And, and I think that people are watching the markets more than taking action right now. And, and that's informing my expectation of the next couple of months. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, TXMC, what, what is your kind of view of on-chain in, in the future? Um, you know, call it over the next five, 10 years. Do you, do you think it kind of evolves from this thing being like a, uh, you know, Use, use for investment signals to more so kind of like this economic data tool, you know, as, as Bitcoin kind of, you know, we talk about like hyper Bitcoinization or like the takeover of Bitcoin as the world's kind of monetary premium. All right. Someone rang my doorbell. Sorry if that was came coming from uh, no, my I mic right there. It. Okay. Uh, some, I get solicitors in my neighborhood and they are very aggressive. So sorry about that. Uh, no worries. Uh, so for on chain, I think that it, I think that there's there's two things that will develop over the next couple of years. Um, I think that one of the things that will be developed certainly are more robust trading signals based on combinations of on-chain and derivatives data. I think that there's a lot of potential there that is yet to be explored publicly by folks who are good at those things. It may be happening behind closed doors at you know different funds and things like that. But I think that really a lot of the kind of broader usage of various indicators, trading indicators based on on-chain metrics, I think there's a, there's a lot more development to happen there. And that will come from folks who have a, a different skill set than myself. You know, I, I'm, I'm an amateur analyst who likes data and I can make visualizations, but I'm not a quant who can develop trading signals with, you know, rigorously back-tested, uh, you know, approaches and things like that. So I think that we get a lot of new minds into the space that'll develop some of the trading side of it. But I also think to your point that as Bitcoin grows as an asset and it becomes a multi-trillion dollar asset over the next few years, maybe three to five years, I think that its power as an economic indicator will be much more useful. I think as people begin to understand the way that we can look at these various investor cohorts and understand their behavior in different you know, market cycles, broader global market cycles, I think that has a lot of value. And as we see nation states begin to expose themselves to Bitcoin, a lot of these other retirement funds and private wealth, and even if the bond markets start dabbling in this, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there for Bitcoin to become a weather vane for global macro sentiment. 
Makes a lot of sense. And what are your thoughts on the whole four-year cycle thing? This is something that is has been kind of polarizing amongst, like, I guess, the, the Bitcoin community. So, like, I personally stand in the camp that we kind of veer away from these cycles, but uh, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think we do, too. And, um, you know, there are some very gifted technical analysts out there who have been able to construct some very compelling models based on the concept of a four-year cycle. Right. And they've been able to say, this is what price action does. Look at all of the symmetry between the first cycle and the second cycle and the third cycle. But I think that that's that in some ways it is based on very limited data points. Right. We've got how many market tops, how many actual market cycles do we have to base this cycle theory on? A couple of them. And the behavior, I'm sorry, the makeup of the market participants themselves and the ecosystem that they had to invest in Bitcoin in was very different in 2011 and 2013 than it is in 2021. You know, the, the, first of all, the liquidity was extremely different back then. Uh, The amount of liquidity was much lower. Um, The price was considerably lower. So the amount of coins being used in a transaction was much higher. Uh, And also just the type of investors were very different, you know, eight, nine years ago. It was mostly a lot of just amateur types, people who were mining Bitcoin at home, who suddenly found themselves holding thousands of it, you know, like the, the, try, seeing wealth for the first time. Whereas now the, the market makeup is much different. We've got a much larger derivatives market. We have more institutional money here. A lot of bigger funds are exposed to Bitcoin that never were back in the day. And so I, I think that there's a lot of headwinds playing against the idea that Bitcoin will just continue to have these beautifully placed four-year cycles that line up with the having being in the middle somewhere. I don't think that it's going to play out. And I think the reason the first couple of halvings were so powerful is because of the amount of issuance that it was that was cut, right? It's diminishing returns on the issuance cut each time. You know, the first time it was 50 to 25 and then 25 to 12 and a half, et cetera. Now we're at six and a quarter Bitcoin. The next time it'll be three and an eighth. And I and I think that at some point, the effect of the having itself has lower and lower impact. And, and be, in part because 90% of the supply is already out there, right? So the future having is a diminished issuance on an even smaller percentage of the future supply. So I, I don't think that its role will be as dramatic as it has been in the past. And the having itself has been one of the major, you know, one of the key ingredients in the cycle theory. And so I think that Willie's Willie's statement that we might have, he, what do you call it? A drunken walk, I think is what he called it, where we, we kind of go up and then down and then up and then down. I think there's credence to that. It, we will have drawdowns. We'll have corrections. We'll have bearish periods like we've seen this year. Uh, but I, I don't think that the future for Bitcoin is 90% drawdown, three-year bear market, parabolic 10x bull run. I don't think we're going to do that over and over again. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, I, the kind of mental framework I have for it is like, I'm assuming we're going to have these rounded tops and bottoms unless my invalidation for that, which I think that's important. Like whenever you have a thesis, you always need to have an invalidation. My invalidation for that would be, we have a blow off top. So like if we had some kind of big parabolic blow off, you know, like, you know, month or so where we're like, Bitcoin does like a three to five X. Well, yeah, I'm definitely going to kind of stand in the camp that we're going to have this like kind of prolonged bear market. But unless we have that, I think we'll just continue to see these kind of rounded tops and bottoms. And, you know, like when people talk about like 
super cycle, right? Like a super cycle is not just going vertical, right? And just going straight up and, and no corrections. A super cycle is, is, in my opinion, would just be this kind of free floating, upwards drifting, um, you know, uh, market structure where exactly what we're talking about, these kind of rounded tops and bottoms, um, you know, mm -hmm. lower volatility. And, and, you know, that that is, in my opinion, what I would think of as kind of super cycle. Um, and so, yeah, th th I definitely agree with you. And that's that's kind of where like my mental uh, framework is moving forward. Uh, yeah. Last thing I want to talk about is like hyper Bitcoinization. So this is something I always ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Uh, when we kind of think through this process of hyper Bitcoinization, what are some of the milestones that you think are kind of going to accelerate the process the most? So like the way I kind of think of this question is if you've ever played uh, like Mario Kart or something, right? And you go through like these rings and you get like a, you get a boost whenever you go through them, right? And it kind of accelerates the momentum that you have. Right. What are some of the what are some of these events for Bitcoin that you think will kind of accelerate that process of like the global adoption of Bitcoin as an asset class? Well, I think that the uh, the debasement of the primary currency of the world is doing a great job of that so far, uh, and I think that the more that this happens, I mean, we've just seen adoption the 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 tenor and the tone and the like the the pattern of adoption of Bitcoin has changed a lot since March of 2020. Has it not? You know, a lot of the behaviors we're seeing have been have changing. I think that that was one of those moments that is early in the curve of Bitcoinization, right? Uh, is is the, the turning on of the turbo money printer in March of 2020 when we really started seeing hodler behavior dominating on chain. And I think that we have more events like that upcoming it's hard to picture what they would look like as as what i as a beginner student of macro i think that that is where some of those kind of events will come from I, I, something that i think that is awaiting bitcoin and i'm always careful to bring this up because i don't i don't want to sound like an, an alarmist but at some point there will be a major market crash there will be a like a generational market crash. It happens. This is that's what that's how markets work. And currently, the traditional legacy markets are in a massive bubble. At some point, that bubble will pop to the downside, and every asset will be affected, including Bitcoin. And to this point, Bitcoin has not experienced one of those. The closest thing was March of 2020, and that was more of a liquidity crunch. And we recovered, and we, I say we, Bitcoin recovered faster than all other assets, right? I think it really surprised people. And I think that in the past, whenever there have been traditional moments of fear that rock, that rack global markets, people always run to the dollar as a safe haven. Well, what's happening now is the dollar is becoming less and less safe, right? It's becoming less and less of a stable haven to run to, to protect yourself from, from volatility and uncertainty because you're losing probably double digits of buying power annualized. And so- I think that the, that factor, along with the fact that people haven't actually had a terrifying catalyst that forces them to examine where they would run to in fear, I think that when we get to one of those moments, Bitcoin will be there where it wasn't in the in the past. It wasn't there in 2008 and early 2009 when we had the global financial crisis. You know, it had just started in January 2009. It didn't have a price. So I, I think that it wasn't available to people. And a moment like that will be a huge catalyst for Bitcoin's adoption. Uh, and and I, I don't want to try to predict something like that at a, at a point in time, but I think that that will occur in our lifetimes, maybe in, in the next half a decade or a decade. Um, that's one thing. But, but I, also, I also just think that 
you know, we're seeing a lot of a lot of small whispers of different nations starting to understand that Bitcoin is a possible uh, you know, hedge for them against their own debasement of their own dollarization. Because almost every nation in the world is dollarized to some degree or another. And, and I think they're seeing what El Salvador is doing. And we're seeing other nations who are trying to figure out payment rails that are outside of the traditional system so they don't have to use dollars. Russia and China are trying to do that. And, and those are just the ones we're hearing about. All of those kinds of forces will speed up the adoption of other types of currencies. And Bitcoin being the hardest money asset we have will be the primary benefactor there. But, but something I want to mention about my own perspective, and I, and I also will couch this by saying that you know, I've only been playing with my thoughts on this for a few months. And so I'm always open to hearing if someone thinks there's a flaw in my perspective or there's some other, other angle I should consider. I'm always like, I'd always like to hear those things. But I don't believe that we are headed for a world with one currency, Bitcoin, because we've never had a single currency world ever. And I don't think that we will in the future. I think there will always be a various basket of assets that people assign a value to, whether those are hard or weaker assets. You know, I don't see Ethereum as hard money, but there will always be some people that assign some value to it as long as it exists. And so I can't rule out the possibility that people will continue to transact in weaker monies forever. But what I think will happen is that Bitcoin will see a turning point in the understanding of the populace. You know, we still only have a couple percentage of people who even own it. And so there is a huge potential addressable market that doesn't even know what the hell it is yet. And I, I think those, just the, the slow understanding of person to person is what's really going to drive the growth. And, you know, the aforementioned, you know, market, you know, turning over that we probably will have in the next few years. Those are the things I'm looking for. But I, but I don't think there will be a world where Bitcoin's the only thing people transact in because humans are just too stubborn to accept a single currency. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a, an excellent answer. And I, I do kind of agree with that last point. I think, you know, even if it's some kind of currency that's backed by Bitcoin or pegged to Bitcoin, um, you know, that, that's another kind of reasonable outcome. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess- And like you know, sovereign nations will always want to issue their own currency. You know, like a, yeah. sovereign powers, as long as they exist, they will always want to issue their own paper and require their citizens to pay taxes in it, which creates the demand for it. They will always do that. And so in my, my thinking, the only way to create a world where Bitcoin is the only currency is, is to dismantle all nations. And then we're, that's a bigger conversation, yeah. right? That's yeah. a lot bigger than just how's Bitcoin going to get adopted. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where my, my plot hole exists on the whole hyper-Bitcoinization thing. Sure. You yeah, know, that, that was excellent. Um, TXMC, I, I just want to give you a, a quick handoff just to plug in your YouTube as well as your, your Twitter and you know anything else that, that you want to kind of plug in here. Um, you know, really appreciate you coming on, man. This was, this was awesome. I'm glad to be on here. You know, whenever the young wizard, I called you it, whenever the young wizard reaches out, you know, I'm always happy to oblige. You're one of the first, uh, you know, friends I made in this space. And, uh, you know, I like to, um, you know, keep up with my, my friendship. So I'm always happy to come on. My, uh, my YouTube channel is called Alpha Beta Soup. You can find me in my bio on Twitter at TXMC Trades or you can go to alphabetasoup.tv, which should link you to my YouTube. And um, yeah, put out a couple of videos a week um, analyzing the Bitcoin markets, mostly with on-chain. And um, yeah, I've, 
it's all free to everyone. I don't have any um, paid subscriptions. So feel free to go check it out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, brother. It's been awesome seeing you grow. Um, you know, your growth has been incredible on, on Twitter and uh, continuing to like Yours see too. Appreciate oh it. Oh my man. God, man. You're at like 470,000 followers. It's absolutely incredible. When I first started following you, you had a third of that, dude. <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, you know, ho- hopefully you're at 100K soon and, uh, you know, continuing on the, the trajectory you're on. Uh, you know, I have full confidence you'll be there. So uh, if I could buy some call options on TXMC, I would. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> th- thanks again for coming on, man. And uh, we'll definitely have you on in the future. Maybe you'll be the, the first person to, to be on three times. So That would be amazing. I'm, I'm excited to just be the, the recurring guest here. Uh, there you go. Very honored. And uh, <laughs> I am long will perp. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Take on it easy. max leverage. All right, see you. See you.